0: Our text is going to be Philippians 3, verses 2 and 3 today. We're going to stop mid-sentence, but that's okay because Paul's sentences are all like two and a half pages long, so can't help yourself sometimes. Last week we talked about rejoicing in the Lord. If we recall here, Paul is giving us an entire chapter of parenthetical thought uh, regarding our Christian faith and how it's secured by our joy in the Lord. We saw how important it is that our lives are anchored in a personal love for Jesus Christ and a love for ministry, uh, the ministry of the gospel. We saw that this mindset is key to attaining the kind of effectiveness and the satisfaction that men like Paul and Epaphroditus and Timothy had. You look at any of those guys or so many other uh, examples in the scriptures and you find that despite their situation or despite difficulty... Uh, These were men and women who were incredibly satisfied in their lives and incredibly effective toward the end of uh, ministering in the gospel. And the key, we saw last week, was rejoicing in the Lord. Since rejoicing in the Lord is so important for us as individual Christians and as a church, then it should come as no surprise that our spiritual enemies are going to attempt to damage or rob that joy from us. Uh, Because a Christian without joy is a Christian without strength. Remember, Nehemiah said that the joy of the Lord is your strength. And so, if we don't have joy, then we're not going to have strength in the Lord. And if someone or something can take your focus off of uh, personal holiness and personal devotion to a God who loves you and who created you, then you're going to be less of a threat to the kingdom of darkness and you're going to be less effective and less satisfied as a believer. And so Paul has given us instruction on how to focus our minds and how to rejoice in the Lord. We saw that last week. And now he's going to give us a warning about defending our lives against spiritual enemies. And in our text, that enemy specifically is legalism. And So let me read this to you. It says in verses 2 and 3, Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. Or some of your translations might say the concision, which means mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Legalism is the focus on external behaviors or habits which a person thinks will make them more righteous or more deserving of God's favor in some way. Um, So, on the flip side of that, of course, then, is that legalism says that a person, you as an individual, you can't really come before the Lord or be in God's good graces unless you perform certain rules and rituals which then make you or make a person more acceptable to God. Now, Paul rejects this notion altogether of course we do as well. Not only here in this text, but throughout his writings and throughout the New Testament, we find that the Christian life is uh, much more than a list of do's and don'ts and much more than some legal code that you follow in order to escape God's anger. The Christian life, according to Jesus Christ, is to love God and to love others. That is the law we are to follow. Because a life that pleases the Lord flows from the heart of a person who is in love with Jesus Christ. And so when... Uh, people came to Jesus and said, hey, what's the greatest commandment? There's over 600 laws that we're supposed to follow as Jews that the you know, rabbis and the Pharisees had put together, extra-biblical things. And they said, so what is the commandment that I have to follow since it's impossible to follow all of them? And Jesus said, love God and love others. The, that's the law, because if you're loving God and if you're loving others, then a lifestyle and behavior that pleases the Lord, which is our ultimate goal, will flow from that mindset. Unfortunately, again and again, people and teachers and groups come along and they say that there are physical things that you have to do to be a real Christian. Okay, well, yeah, you, 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 know, you believe in Jesus, but if you want to be a real Christian, this is what you have to do. It happened to Paul everywhere he went. Uh, it continues today as the enemy attempts to weaken Christians and weaken the church by putting people under bondage to rites and rules and rituals. What we get here in our text is a comparison of living by the law and living by the Spirit, a, a contrast between the two. First, Paul identifies legalism and legalists as dogs. Now in our culture, in our culture, a dog is man's best friend, uh, part of the nuclear family. You know, we esteem dogs as noble in our culture. There's not a whole lot of television shows about cats. But, you know, looking at the history of, you know, the last hundred years, there's been a lot of television shows about dogs and Lassie's, this huge franchise, and Renton Ten and Benji and all these other things. However, if you visit the third world, it's a very different story. I know that when we've spent time in Honduras or Peru or Chile, man, you don't want to be friends with any of the dogs that you <laughs> encounter over there. And there are lots of dogs all over the place. Even in a city like Lima, 8 million people, uh, certain areas of it are, are very westernized and feels like you know, a modern city, but man, there's just dogs everywhere and you don't want to be friends with them. Uh, the same thing was true in the first century. In fact, in the Bible, uh, I'm pretty sure there's not a positive uh, use of dog as an analogy. Dogs were used to illustrate the lowest of the low. You didn't want to be compared to a dog. You didn't want to be called a dog. Interestingly, in our a couple of weeks ago in our studies of the life of David on Sunday mornings even this last week he, he compares himself to a flea the, before when he has that interaction with Saul he says hey why are you coming out after a dog you know and a flea on top of a dog and David's using that to illustrate that he's like I'm just the lowest of the low in your kingdom and you don't need to worry about me and all that sort of thing uh, Solomon compared fools to dogs in the Proverbs Peter called false teachers dogs in his second epistle and over in Galatians chapter 5 we get a great picture of how legalism works kind of in this analogy It's verses uh, 13 through 15 of chapter 5. Let me read them to you. Paul says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware, lest you be consumed by one another. And so... Legalists and legalism is dog like, and it bites and devours, spiritually speaking. It's an attitude that people use to tear away at others and even profit off of them. Uh, Self serving, spiritually diseased individuals who often run in packs is is also interesting about legalism, and they try to enforce their brand of spirituality on other people. And they kind of just bite away at the brethren. Uh, Second, Paul says that legalists are evil workers. What's so remarkable to me about legalism and the the doctrine of legalism is that it appears to be so holy, it appears to be so godly and so impressive, uh, impressive on a human level. But in reality, it's just empty and it's just corrupt. And it does a huge amount of damage to those around it. it. It actually works evil in the name of working righteousness. And of course, the Pharisees are just a perfect example of legalism. I think sometimes we look at that and we think, man, how could anybody be a Pharisee? But it's a perfect example of legalism. They were so obsessed with their own definition of godliness and cleanliness, yet they were absolutely, fundamentally enemies of Jesus Christ. They were enemies of the Father. Uh, Jesus said, hey, you know what, your Father is the devil. And, uh, and they, it was a bad situation for the Pharisees. But the Pharisees, they thought they were so righteous, but they put incredible burdens on the people of Israel and, and burdens that they wouldn't, couldn't bear themselves. Jesus said this about them, Matthew 23, "'Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you're hypocrites! For you're like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear, appear beautiful outwardly, but inside you're full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness.'" And so legalism to us on a human level always appears impressive, but really it just houses an empty heart. Uh, it houses spiritual you know, uh, decay inside. It is a facade that sits on top of a life devoid of true spirituality. And when people come into contact with legalism, they're actually made worse. They're actually made uh, more separate from God than uh, they were before. The work that is birthed out of legalism is not a work of grace. It is evil work because it puts obstacles between God and man and it requires impossible things of people. That's what legalism is. Even though it seems impressive to us and it seems you know, so righteous to us, it is evil work. And God went to great lengths to tear down any separation between man and himself. And, and when a person or a teacher or a group comes in and says that God can only be truly pleased... Um, if you do this on this day or don't do that on that day or whatever, then that work is evil because God desires a personal relationship with us, not a legal relationship with us. And he desires a genuine service, not lip service. And that, that's the difference. That's why they're called evil workers. And then thirdly, Paul said to beware of the mutilation. In this regard, he was referring specifically to those who were teaching that a person must be circumcised in order to be saved. Uh, happened everywhere he went. Now today, here in California, we don't encounter a lot of this particular teaching. I don't think any of us probably have very many friends who say you have to be circumcised to be saved. However, we do encounter teachings which state that a person must be baptized in order to go to heaven, or in order to be saved, or a person must speak in tongues in order to be saved, or other similar heresies like that. Uh, When a teaching like that goes out, it does a couple of things. Number one, it mutilates the gospel message that we've received from God in the scriptures. Uh, the gospel message is a simple teaching that we are saved by grace, through faith, and not of works, lest any man should boast. And so it mutilates that gospel message. But secondly, it leads to spiritual and even sometimes personal mutilation. Uh, this is the only time that this specific Greek word is used in the New Testament, and so there's not a huge amount of you know, background on it. But what it means is to cut up. And uh, legalism causes people to cut themselves up, trying to force God's hand through some dogmatic law that they've set up as opposed to living a life of love for the Lord. And also, interestingly, it kind of causes them to cut up their spirituality so that they have compartments where they are spiritual and then other parts of their lives where they don't care at all. You know, I I think that's an interesting trait of uh, many legalistic traditions. Uh, Excuse me. When we see how Paul describes spiritual legalism, it should worry us. It really should. If we're reading this at at face value, I mean, man, it should worry us. It should cause us to stop and see legalism for what it really is. Something that is dangerous and damaging and terrible. Something that is awful and is incompatible with Christian living. We should take Paul's warning to beware seriously. He repeated it three times for us in these verses. Legalism is deadly to spiritual growth and to the ministry and it is ...out there right now and is trying to siphon you off. There are your friends out there and teachings out there and groups out there... ...that are going to come and tell you that you have to do X, Y, and Z... ...otherwise you're not a real Christian. Otherwise God is going to be angry at you and and all these sorts of things. Instead of getting drawn off into the trap of legalism... ...we need to continue leading the spirit-led life... ...which is what God has wanted for us all along. Verse 3 again. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus have no confidence in the flesh. The spirit-led life is the opposite of legalism. uh, And that's what we're seeing in these two verses. Legalism seeks to force God into giving His favor through our habits and our rules that we've kept for Him. Uh, The spirit-led life seeks to please God because we love Him who first loved us. And so they're completely opposite. The legalistic life worships God in ritual, this day in this way. If you use instruments, you can't be a Christian. If you do this, you can't be a Christian. You know, you must do things this way on this day. Uh, It's worshiping God in ritual. The spirit-led life worships God in the spirit, obviously, is what verse 3 says. Bible commentator William Barclay says this, We worship God in the spirit. Christian worship is not a thing of ritual or of observation of the details of the law. It is a thing of the heart. It is perfectly possible for a man to go through an elaborate liturgy and yet have a heart that is far away from God. And we see this demonstrated in the scriptures many, many times as the Lord, especially in the Old Testament and the prophets, came to his people and he said, you know, you're giving me all these sacrifices, yeah, I don't really want the blood of bulls and and rams. What I want is your heart. And um, even in the law, even in Deuteronomy, when God talks about circumcision, he always talks about it he says, I want to circumcise your hearts. Yes, there is an outward act that he asked the Jews to do in order to symbolize the covenant that he had made. But the real issue was the circumcision of the heart. It's the same with, you know, baptism. There's lots of groups in this area and, and, you know, around today that say you have to be baptized in order to be saved. And, you know, baptism is the outward sign of the inward work. God doesn't care if a person has been dunked into a pool of water if their heart doesn't belong to him. And so in worship, we don't sing because singing five songs once a week is going to keep God from being angry at us. And um, I think sometimes it's easy to sort of slip into that because legalism is always easy. It's always always easy to draw toward that side of things. We sing because we love the Lord and because of who He is and what He's done. We worship God by giving ourselves to Him, and that's what we've been talking about for 19 weeks now. If thankfulness and adoration isn't the root of our worship, then we're worshiping in vain and the issue that we need to deal with is something uh, deeper and more personal. The legalistic life rejoices in self-righteousness, and then it goes out and evangelizes other into the same form of self-righteousness. A Pharisee, be they biblical or modern day, they're never really worried about people receiving more of God's spirit or more of God's grace. In fact, they're usually just concerned that you do the same things that they do, and that you uh, you know, uh, follow the same list that they do. They're concerned you know, that... Uh, you know, you get up as early as they do and you memorize as much of the Bible as they do and, and all these sort of outward physical things which seem spiritual on a human level but in, in reality it's just boasting it's just self-righteousness and legalism rejoices in self-righteousness and so if you have a Christian friend who always is telling you about what they've done in the, in the Word and their devotional life and things like that you know, just be aware when they're giving you advice and telling you what you need to do because um, we need to not boast in those outward things in contrast, a spirit-led life, it says in verse 3, is to rejoice in Christ Jesus. A spirit-filled man thinks less and less of himself and more and more of his Lord. Because the more filled with God's spirit we are, the more we will understand God's mercy and God's grace and we will see ourselves for what we really are. And what we are really are is men who have nothing to offer an infinite God. In fact, that's the third comparison we see Paul making. He says we see that the legalistic life has a huge amount of confidence in the power of the flesh in our natural ability, uh, that by my activity I can elevate myself above the puny mortals around me. That God will have no choice but to bless me and honor me because of my great spiritual discipline, my great spiritual accomplishments. That's legalism. But the spirit-led life is exactly the opposite. Having no confidence in the flesh. Our flesh is evil and it's wicked and it hasn't gotten any better. You know, Your flesh is still in there and it's still bad. We need to refuse to return to the flesh for insight or inspiration or ambition. Because within ourselves, we have nothing to offer the Lord. Nothing. Nothing at all. Uh, We only have, you know, wickedness in there. God doesn't need our talents. He doesn't need our abilities. He doesn't need us at all. In His grace, He's willing to work through us. And that's an amazing thing. God working in us and working through us Himself. He's willing to work through us so that we can be a part of his will. He doesn't need us. He's just brought us in because he's a God of love and grace. Now along the way, the Lord refines us and strips away the corruption that sin has brought into our lives. But the flesh is still a flesh and it's still evil and it's still in there until we're united with the Lord in heaven. Anything that God does in us is because of his mercy and because of his power. He has no need of our meager humanity. Uh, He can use rocks to cry out to him if he needs be or donkeys or anything else. Yet, you know, we know that God does desire to establish and continue work through each and every one of his people. And this should cause more rejoicing and give us a huge amount of confidence that that each of our lives has purpose in God's eyes. So if we reduce our faith to some tally sheet of how much better we are than the Christian next to us, uh, then we've completely removed ourselves from the spirit-led, spirit-filled life. And it's easy to become a Pharisee because that attitude begins with pride. Um, now, the, the logical argument that comes up is, well then, it doesn't matter what we do. You know, I can just kind of go out and do anything and there's nothing, no rules that I have to follow. Of course not. We talked about this last week. There's a difference between legalism and holiness. Holiness is receiving the life that God has given you and living a life to please Him. And your behaviors and your actions and things that you actually do, outside <coughs> and inside would please the Lord. And now, and we of course know because of the scripture, there are so many things that the Lord says, if you want to please me, here's what you should do. And here are things that do not please me and in fact, you know, um, are sinful. And, you know, and so, you know, people want to say, well, there's no rules to follow. Okay. But it's a mindset. The mindset is, are we legalists? or Are we interested in personal holiness? And Personal holiness is something that is driven by a desire to please God and to honor Him who loves us. Legalism is a, dire, is a desire to force God into blessing you or giving you favor or, or whatever, to elevate you because of the, you know, the maze that you've gone through. I've gotten to the end of the maze, and so now God must do this for me. And there's a big difference. Living a life of holiness is key to uh, being spirit-filled. And um, uh, uh, having a desire for holiness is not legalism whatsoever. But becoming a Pharisee is something that all of us can do. It's something that's simple because the attitude begins with pride. And all of us have to continually deal with pride. The key is to remember who God is, what Jesus Christ has done for us, and the plan that he has revealed in his word for your life and for my life. And so if we stay focused on those things, then we're not going to be drawn away into the emptiness of legalism, and we're going to be able to retain that joy that is so central to our faith. Uh, So go out there, remember who Jesus is and what he's done, and uh, don't get drawn off by legalism.